0: Welcome to New Books in European Studies. I'm Tim Jones and in the last of three podcasts in the run-up to the Dutch election on March the 17th, I'm joined by Pedro de Koning, author of political biography Mark Rutte, published in October 2020 in Dutch by Brooklyn. If as looks very likely Mark Rutte re-emerges as Prime Minister after the election on March the 17th, he'll be on track to become the country's longest ever-serving Prime Minister. All he has to do is stay in office until the middle of next year, and he'll beat the record set in 1994 by rude Lubbers. Yet, despite being now a veteran on the European stage, Rutter remains an enigma, even in the Netherlands. This man who turned 54 on Valentine's Day has never been in a relationship and has never cooked a meal. Petra's book covers his many personal eccentricities, and will definitely talk about some of these, but it's the mystery of his political success that runs through the narrative. 15 years ago, Rutter emerged from outside the cabinet to scrape victory in his campaign to lead the Liberal VBD party. Perceived as on the left of a party whose base was drifting right, and with erratic communication skills, he nevertheless saw off internal challenges, and in 2010 became the Netherlands' first Liberal Prime Minister in nearly a century. And if things go according to plan on the 17th, he should be in office until 2025, In a European Union without the UK, and soon to be without Angela Merkel, Rutter is faster emerging as the guardian and lead spokesman of the EU's pragmatic, intergovernmentalist, fiscally conservative, free-trading and putin sceptical wing. So who is he? How has he reshaped his party and Dutch politics? And what role will he play in Europe in the coming years? Petra de Kooning is political editor of the daily NRC, and last year's winner of the Anna von der Link Prize for Political Reporting. Starting as a reporter with the paper in 1998, she was a correspondent in Kosovo and later in Brussels before returning to cover the Hague Beat in 2013. She's the author of The Butcher's Daughter, about her experience in Kosovo, and co-author with Case Manning of Balkans on the North Sea, about the Yugoslav War Tribunal. Petra, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Tim, for inviting me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Um, In case anyone's wondering about Petra's voice, she's uh, she's been sick with uh, coronavirus this week. So uh, I I thought I should say Um, your two previous books were reportage. Uh, What made you decide to write your first political biography?
1: Well, in two thousand fifteen, I did write a reportage on Rutte. Uh, I followed him during his public appearances. Um, I studied his speeches, his moves, his jokes—always the same—and how he reacted on uh, angry voters uh, while on the like, while campaigning on the streets, turning his back towards them. I saw how he uh, seemed to be untouchable during uh, debates in Parliament, and how. It made him nervous when uh, the debate was about something, a promise that he had broken. Uh, He was very sensitive to that. So I saw all these kind of things. I wrote a long story um, for the paper just before Christmas that year. And then in 2018, uh, he held some speeches on Europe uh, and he said that he had... um, changed his mind on Europe, that he was uh, now seeing the European Union not only as a market, but as a um, community of values and so on. And I thought, is it really possible, Uh, Mark Rutte, who says that he is always the same little man, little happy man, you know, can he, is it possible that he changes his mind on something at all? So then I started um, a new project to see how this works in his in his mind. Uh, to start talking to people who know him from before, from when he was very young, and later in the party, and you know. And then, with these two uh, elements, you know, his behavior and his way of thinking, uh, people started su- suggesting that I try the book, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, he, you know, reading about his, his background, his childhood and, 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 and the way he lives his life, it, it's hard to imagine somebody rising to the top uh, in another country who, who's like that. I mean, you, you describe his unusual childhood, um, not just his esoteric enthusiasms like playing political interviews with his friends on the bus, or memorising speeches by people like Bob Dole, and and his mother used to call him the director because he was so bossy.
1: Yes.
0: Um, <laughs> um, and also, I mean, the, the comparative age. His parents were much, you know, were, were pretty old when they had him. Can you talk us through this?
1: Yes, his mother was forty-three when he was born, and his father was fifty-eight. And Mark Rutte mm-hmm. is the youngest in a family of seven kids. Um, his father mm-hmm. was married before to the older sister of Mark Rutte's mother. Uh, With her, he had uh, three kids. She died in a camp in the former Dutch colony, now Indonesia. And he returned with his three kids to the Netherlands after the Second World War and then married uh, Mark Rutte's mother and had another four kids. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a a tradesman. He he worked for a trade company in in Indonesia. And later, he was a director in a a local car dealer his mother was a housewife. Uh, they were a modest family, Protestants. They didn't go to church very often, but they had a, a strong belief that you had to have, behave uh, modestly. You, you, his father had a saying for that. He said, Mark, don't walk. you should always walk on the small stones. You know, Don't think that you're someone special. And his mm-hmm. mother uh, kept on saying that also when he was a prime minister. Um, oh, you're a prime minister? Well, don't think you're special.
0: Yeah, and and you you I mean you have many stories about how you know, I think the first time he started going to meetings in Brussels, he memorized the names of the uh, Belgian motorbike outriders, and he always stops at you know the same cafes and the same petrol stations and, and knows people by name. Is do you think that is part of that grounding that his parents gave him?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's always doing that, and it, people like that, huh? That he remembers your name, and he he gives you the feeling that you're uh, his friend, even though you don't mm. know anything from him. <laughs> yeah. But he, he gives you, he gives people that feeling, and um, yeah, people people like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he, I mean, when as I said, when he began in the job, he was he was pretty unpopular. Um, uh, you know, he ran against, um, uh, sorry, w- w- when he ran, I think it was the 2006 campaign, and one of his colleagues, Rita Verdonk, uh, actually outpolled him in the preference. And, and yet today he's he's seen as indispensable to the popularity of the VVD. W- why do you think it has changed so much in the last uh, 14 years, 15 years?
1: Well, there was a whole road that he was traveling as a as a leader of, of the VVD. Um, he started in two thousand six, and then he he was uh, trying to come up with some of his own ideas about healthcare, education, and and things like that. But that was not what his voters uh, wanted to hear. So um, it was not working at all. And then some leaders in the party, they they uh, took him aside and said, uh, you know, you can talk about climate and healthcare and education, but those are not the core issues of the favorite day. It's about um, money, you know, money in your in your own pocket. Uh, it's about your own car, about your own house. And you must start talking about the economy from now on. That was 2010. So there was a, a crisis going on. and. That in combination with a very smart campaign that the Veve Day started with slogans and a lot of surveys on their their own voters and possible new voters, that that made him very successful. So it was Mm. really um, him uh, doing what others told him to do. That made him, I think, so successful in the end.
0: And yet that is something that, that comes across in the book um, sort of implication that his commitment to that sort of thing is quite skin deep that he his his real interest is in the game is in the politics um but he doesn't have a feeling really for how normal people live is is that fair
1: yeah i can say i think that's fair um he is an historian and he loves uh history he loves Historic first, he loves he loves politics, and he he really wanted always already he wanted to play a role in that, and that's what he's doing. Um, and of course, he has you know he has some ideas, and he is a liberal. Um, I think that that you could could say that his his main idea is um, let people live their own lives and don't don't bother too much. That's really re- he really mm. uh, that's his conviction. But for the rest. No, it's, it's it's skin deep, as you say.
0: Hmm. I mean, I, I mentioned some of his eccentricities, which verge on obsessive-compulsive, some of them. I mean, there are so many examples in the book. Can you take us through some of them?
1: Yeah, sure. How long would you like me to go on?
0: <laughs> as long as you like. They're, yeah. they're, they're too good. They're too yeah. good to skimp.
1: Uh, well, as prime minister, he's walking to a meeting with the parties in government on Monday mornings, and he will... Uh, buy his coffee always at the same cafe. And then in the afternoon on Mondays he puts some coins in his pockets uh, before leaving the office and he walks to his weekly meeting with the king, Willem Alexander. And on his way to the palace he always meets the same homeless man selling papers and he buys a paper. Uh, and every autumn his secretary will call his best friends and some of his former colleagues to make all their appointments for the next year for the next <laughs> year holidays with friends dinners lunches coffee and they will then always meet at the same restaurants sit on the same table you know and during holidays with with his friends they always do the same walks they have the same dinners so always the same and this was mm-hmm. already uh, how he behaved as a student you know when, if he, if you would go out with him on a Thursday for lunch uh, outside university and the next Thursday you would do the same then it was a habit and it was difficult uh, to not mm. go with him on, uh, for lunch on Thursday it's it, yeah. uh, it's this is how he uh, builds his life I mean always the same things
0: do I mean any idea where that I, where that came from is that I mean he 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 seems very happy in the uh, the company of old people Um it, 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 is that is that is that part of it that this this element of control he wants to uh, have over his own life?
1: now it it runs in the family that they really want to do this. They're also, his parents and his uh, the rest of the family they they like to do the same things always. You know, when they were uh, young, they always went to the same place for holidays, and they kept on doing that. Also later, and they wanted to go. They always go to the same park um mm. and if the house in this park is already uh, gone somebody else is, has reserved it then yeah then they just don't go you know they can't they can't stand that and what you're saying about that he's at ease with all the people that's true and his friends they think that has to do with him being the youngest with all the parents um he was mm. very close to the director of his high school and he was a, a politician for the VVD. And it's prob- probably through him that uh, Rutte uh, became a party member.
0: Mm. And, and he, you talk about this, um, the, his close friend uh, Ludovic Ducker. His, his mother uh, wanted to come and live in The Hague. So Rutte put her up in his house and she stayed there for years. Um, and he had tea with her every, every Sunday for 20 years. Um, and just on one occasion, she wanted to raise, she wanted to increase the rent that she paid to him or the lodging fee or whatever. And he, he turned it down, uh, cause he, you know, he said, what, what am I, what would I do with the money? But he, he, yeah, he, he, the company he likes to, keep you know, he enjoyed her company. He enjoyed his mother's company. It, it's, it's, uh, it's quite unusual, I think.
1: It is. Yes. Um, I, I, don't have a. I, I didn't make a psychological analysis <laughs> of Mark Rutte, um, so I, I couldn't explain it. But it's absolutely true that he he was attached to to this um, this woman living up upstairs mm. from him. He was also friends with his uh, piano teacher for for many many years. Also an older man. Uh, there yeah. were friendships in the party with with all the people that he would, you know, continue until they die. Um, mm. That's that's true, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, coming back to the politics, um, he you you talk about how he 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 emerged onto the uh, onto the scene, and his aim was to make the VVD into the biggest small party. And of course, this this became very important after the fragmentation of Dutch politics after two thousand and two. When when I read that, I thought it's very interesting. But I thought, is is that sort of justification of facts on the ground? Was it really as strategic as that? And yeah, uh, yeah I'll, well, I'll answer that first and then I'll come to my second point.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was a strategy. He saw it happen, the fragmentation. Mm. And he saw the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats losing voters. And he thought, well, this could give an opportunity to the liberals. You know, They could become the biggest party. It was an analysis, an analysis more than a strategy, I think.
0: Mm. And has it made, because the VVD really does seem to be the the dominant party now, Um, is that to do with alignment around any kind of ideology? Or do you think it's an alignment around him or an alignment around a sort of very broad approach to centrist politics rather than something more to the right?
1: I think it's mainly an alignment around him. Uh, it's also um, uh, due to the economic crisis, and that people in the Netherlands seem to trust the liberals more when it comes to economic crisis. Mm. Um, that's, I think, those are the main things. But as it is now, it's all about Mark Rutte. Mark Rutte is the liberal party in the Netherlands, and and the day he stops, um, I think they are going uh, uh, to have a hard time to find someone else. Mm. You know and I think for some time they will become uh, a much smaller party.
0: Does he give any indication that he wants to stop? No. It's mean, hard all. to see what he not, would do.
1: Not at all. <laughs> no, no. You know, his, his best friends say that he, he would like to be prime minister for the rest of his life, also without yeah. the Liberal Party.
0: Yeah. I, I, the, the, there were a few interesting uh, uh, nuggets there that, that he. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I got the impression that he was happiest or most comfortable when he was governing with uh, Diedrich Samson and the PVDA, and that his ideal coalition government would be would probably be those two and maybe D66. Is am I, am I right in thinking that? Reading that between the lines.
1: Uh, no, I don't think you're right. Uh, he mm. really liked Diederik Sampson. They got along very well, and they were making jokes about them, mm. the two of them changing the Netherlands for good and so on. Um, and it was a long time ago that some of his uh, colleagues and him, they, they made plans about maybe, you know, uh, going incorporating the social liberals in the in the favor day but that was a long time ago he hasn't talked mm. about that for ages and i don't think that this is his plan at all
0: so what, what what do you think is the plan is it simply just to accept the fragmentation as it is and then look for uh tacti- look tactically for allies as as they come up
1: well, it becomes more and more difficult for him to form a government with uh, so many small parties. Mm. Uh, at the same time, uh, during his, uh, his time in government uh, as a prime minister, the fragmentation has has gone even worse, you know. And according mm. to some uh, experts, uh, his, uh, his way of, of finding compromises and always coming out as the... As the most popular leader, with his, with a bigger party, has uh, always has also caused this uh, fragmentation. Um, but mm. it's it's the way it is. He doesn't seem to have a plan to change it, um, and he's he likes to. He seems to enjoy governing uh, with a difficult governments. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> some time to go, I think.
0: Yeah, it is. It is striking, as you say, that. Every time he governs with anybody, they seem to come out the worst for it. You, you, you make. I think at the end of the coalition with Samsung, uh, where the PVDA was really badly punished yeah. by the by the electorate, you, you quotes Samson as saying, you know, you you look at what we've achieved in government. We've achieved absolutely the core aims of the party, and yet we're being we're being trashed. Why does why does that happen every time? Is it Rutter? Just takes the applause for the good things and the bad things. Uh, the electorate punish the junior party.
1: Yeah, it's it's some kind of mystery because uh, what happens with Rutte is that the people around him, they they take responsibility for their own mistakes so easily. You know, when the social <laughs> democrats they say now um, that during this government with Rutte. Uh, the second government, that was leading as prime minister, that they uh, that they would embrace the compromise always. They wouldn't uh, make it clear to the public what they had wanted and mm. ha- in in what they had reached in this compromise. They would just say that the compromise was was it, you mm. know, that that was the the aim. So they said that they made a lot of mistakes themselves. They wouldn't really blame Rutte for it. And that, that you could see with all the ministers around him, that he's, the the colleagues that he's losing also in the faith day, um, that they blame themselves <laughs> and not Rutte. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really uh, surprising.
0: <laughs> I mean, have other party leaders learned from that? So, for example, in the next government formation that, that we're about to see, do you think some people will go into this much more uh much less naively in in dealing with with rutter
1: yeah yeah you could see that already in this government yeah. that's in the current government that uh he's governing now with three other parties and they uh they were anxious you know to make their to keep their own stories uh and to keep you know to say what they wanted but it's difficult it's difficult with Rutte. i think that only the the smallest party in the government, the Krista um, Uni succeeded mm. in doing that, and they are in the polls now, doing quite well, and the others mm. are not doing very well. So it it seems to be very very difficult with in a government and then uh, come out uh, as a as a winner too.
0: Mm. <laughs> I mean, th- the one thing he's done. Um... You know, we were talking earlier about how he's he's open to coalitions with pretty much anybody. The the, the person he's ruled out uh, this time again is uh, is head uh, Wilders. Um, is that? Do you, do you think? Could you foresee any circumstance in which he would go? I mean, they, they had a sort of a loose arrangement uh, uh, in twenty. God, when was it? Twenty ten or twenty twelve? Twenty ten. Yeah, twenty ten. Can you see any circumstance in which he would go back into government with uh, with Wilders and try and rebuild or build a, a a a VVD right and right of the right?
1: No, I don't think so. No, I don't think that will happen uh, under with Rutte. I don't think he will do mm. that again. Geert Wilders was his mentor in the VVD when he was a um, uh, coming when he was a secretary of state. In another mm. government, and then Wilders left the party in 2004 already, uh, after Rutte uh, became the leader. And it's the, Rutte was seen as a as a social liberal by his colleagues for a long time, as a little bit leftish. Uh, and mm. then when he formed his first government with the support of Geert Wilders, the populist PVV, r- really right wing, right wing. Mm. Uh, then then he. Um, then his, this image disappeared. Then he was the right-wing leader, Rutte, accepting the support of, of Wilders. But this government, with the support of Wilders, fell already after one and a half year. And I don't think he would try again this adventure. It was, it mm. was not very good for him.
0: Well, of course, the other thing where it would be incoherent would be how Rutte has tamed... Or t- pulled the VVD away from a sort of inherent euroscepticism that it used to have. And, uh, and Wilders would definitely not fit into, yeah. into that move. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you mentioned this at the beginning, you know, what, this was one of the reasons behind the book that you were very interested in his series of speeches that he made in 20, 2017, 2018. Um, I could be me, could be me that I've just missed this, but he, I haven't noticed a lot of follow up to those speeches, and as you said in the book, um, there was a perception that probably wasn't true, but there was a perception that this was part of a campaign for him to become the European Council president. Um, Are you expecting him to, particularly with the disappearance of uh, Merkel this year, are you expecting him to become more of a European uh, figure uh, with, with ideas over the next four years?
1: Yeah, it's it's a very good question. I really don't know, but I don't think so. Mm.
0: Um,
1: you know, he he used this um, this period in the 2018 when they thought that he was going to be the next council president. That he used this um, these rumors to come mm. up with a story that would be good for the Netherlands. That's what they thought around him. So he held those speeches. Um, And he thought that it would make the Netherlands more important and, uh, uh, you know, fill the hole that the the UK was leaving behind. Mm. Um, But afterwards, now you're right, you you didn't hear much about it anymore. Uh, There was less interest in his ideas on Europe. And he's not, I mean, he's not a a leader with a great vision. So it would surprise me if he would come out, that he would that he would come to Brussels and, and say, you know, this is the way for Europe to go forward. I mm. just don't think that he can do that.
0: But there's one area where he could play a, a major role in the next uh, couple of years, uh, and that's over the approach towards Hungary and Poland. Um, you know, he, he, he took a position last year... Uh, on the payout of the recovery funds uh, and the link to the rule of law uh, norms in, in Hungary and Poland. Can you see him taking that as a strong position or is that something that will be led more by uh, Scandinavians, do you think?
1: Oh, no, that this in this uh, aspect, you're right. Yeah, he could do that. And his party and also other parties in the Dutch government want him to do that. So... That that's really possible that he will take that position and uh, and he doesn't mind if they you know the other leaders don't like it he will stick to that that's for sure yeah. Yeah. As he will always also stick you know to his point on the budget that um, that the net yes. shouldn't pay too much and so on. <laughs> yeah
0: I, I I guess that approach will be decided in part by um, the type of coalition that comes out on the other side of this election. Um, I mean, obviously, government formations take a long time in the Netherlands, so you 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 won't be uh, you won't be held to this over the next week or two. Um, but um, do do you think if he could choose the coalition partners he could have um, today, what, what what do you think he would choose?
1: I think he would choose yeah the Christian Democrats, uh, probably also the Social Liberals again, mm. and. Um, he likes this small Christian party, the Christiani. He likes to work with. Really. Them. Yeah, mm. yeah, they they get along quite well, um, and he will probably then choose the one one leftish party, the Social Democrats. But they don't want to go on their own in such a government again. Um, so mm. they would like to. They want to take the GroenLinks, the Greens, with them, or mm. the Socialists. Uh, It will be a a government maybe of five, six people, six parties, I think. Uh, But if he can choose, uh, it's the Christian Democrats. And then if it could be alone with the Christian Democrats, probably that's,
0: but it's impossible.
1: I think he would prefer that probably.
0: Yeah. But if if the Netherlands were to take a particularly strong position, for example, regarding rule of law uh, and that sort of thing, I guess it would be, Advantageous to have uh, the PVDA and the GroenLinks in in government to to achieve that, or or, or is it? Or is it? Is it pretty consensual across the the mainstream parties now?
1: Yeah, it's pretty consensual, and the Greens are a bit difficult for its own uh, supporters. The GroenLinks, the Green Left, Mm. um, they have a reputation of uh, people, you know, from the from the big cities. highly educated and it's um, the safe day wants to be a party for the people for normal people and this um, this is difficult for the image to work together with Groenlings I think Mm. but we'll see
0: yeah yeah, we we, we certainly will well um, to close as always I've asked my guests to choose a book they would recommend to podcast listeners Uh, Petra what did you what did you go for
1: um, you know, a book that I really like, I read it recently, was um, What is in an Apple by Amos Oz, uh, the mm-hmm. Israeli writer. Um, the book is, is, is uh, composed of um, interviews with his editor at the publishing house. It's about how he writes, why, how he is using the stories around him for his own novels. It's a, it's a great book. It's, it's very interesting. I, I love Amos Oz. He has a, a great style of writing.
0: Right. Okay. Well, thank you. Today, I've been talking to Petra de Koning about her biography of Mark Rutter, published in October 2020 by Brooklyn. Petra, thanks again for coming on.